Let us pray. Our loving Father, as we begin this series in the book of Romans, we ask for your help. Please open up our hearts, our eyes, our minds to the truth of your word. Lead us in the way of faith and repentance in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this for our good. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to start our time together now by asking, uh, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's a nice and easy question to get us going. What is it? Well, the first thing to notice in our passage, it tells us the gospel is God's. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul says he's set apart for the gospel of God. So the gospel has its origin in who? God. Uh, I know that sounds like I'm playing Captain Obvious right now, but this is important uh, because he alone is the author, and because he alone is the author, he alone decides what's in and what's out. And because it's God's, we are right to take care in understanding the gospel that is his. And rightly understanding it, well, that's the challenge. It's a necessary challenge, but with the challenge also comes relief. Uh, why is there relief? Well, there's relief because if someone wants to take issue with the gospel, uh, or the, the content of the gospel, they need to take it up to the Lord God. That's a relief. More, verse 16, the gospel is described as a powerful message. Again, why is it powerful? Because it comes from God. It's God's. And so when we talk gospel, we are talking about the gospel of God. Not the gospel of Adam. Not the gospel of Barry. Not the gospel of Huey or Gordon. It's the gospel of God. Here's the second thing. Uh, the gospel is not new. That's verse 2. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That which is now preached is that which God always had in mind. The way God brings people to himself has not changed. We need to understand the gravity of what's being said right now. So let me read from you from Galatians chapter 3 verse 8 to help us. Galatians 3 verse 8 says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's all nations, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. There it is. And what did he say? All nations will be blessed through you. Here, in these verses, Paul spells out God's unfolding plan of salvation in a nutshell. It's an unravelling, if you like, promise way back to Abraham, that thing about all nations being blessed. It's the promise. It's the promise of the gospel. It's a promise that unravels and unravels until it reaches its final expression and the final expression arrives in whom? Sunday school graduates, what's the answer? Who is the fulfilment of God's salvation? 
And if you're saying Jesus, yell at the TV right now. Yes, it's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is the perfect fulfillment of all that God has promised. You might remember Simeon in Luke chapter 2. He sees Jesus and describes Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles, all nations, and for the glory to your people Israel. So the gospel, it's God's, and the gospel, it's not new, it's not. Which brings us to the next point. Gospel is all about Jesus. No big surprise there, but it's right there in verse 3, see? Regarding, it's the gospel regarding his son. It's not just any son, not just any man. This is God's unique son, so Jesus is central. What do you call a Christian without Christ? What do you call a Christian without Christ? Ian. Think about it. Being a Christian, it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. So something might look and smell and feel like the gospel, but if it's devoid of Jesus, then it cannot be the gospel. If the preacher or leader isn't pointing people to Jesus and presenting Jesus, the unique Son of God, then they are not preaching the gospel. And that's why some preaching can look flash and sound flash and might be attractive because it's all about you and it's all about your needs. But because it's a Jesus-free zone, it actually lacks power. It's not the gospel. It's not verse 16, the power of God for salvation. So if the gospel is God's and it's not new and it's about his son, then so must we preach a gospel that is all about Jesus, God's son. Simple. Okay, so what about Jesus, God's son? What about the son? Well, Paul goes on to tell us. Can you see there that the gospel is about a man who is also king? See verse 3? Regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, Jesus was truly man, but not just any man. No, he descended from Israel's king, David. He is royalty. In Jesus, God fulfills his promise to send a king to rule over his people forever. That is 2 Samuel chapter 7, which you may have read. It means that Jesus is the, is the Messiah. In Luke's gospel, when the angel appears in chapter 1, verse 30, the angel says to Mary, Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You ought to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign forever. His kingdom will never end. So capture the gravity in first century Palestine in Bethlehem to a mum we know to be called Mary. Jesus is born in real time and space. The Gospels contain historical markers, historical people, historical places, 
that you can cross-reference. You can get lots of historical information on Jesus. And if the gospel is anchored in real history, then this Jesus of history is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, like the angel said. The one born, placed in the animal trough in Bethlehem, he is the one who is Lord of heaven and earth. The one who died on the cross, yet rose from the dead, he will return to judge the living and the dead. And this is the same one who's the great-great-great-great-grandfather of uh, a grandson of King David. And that same one will return at the end of the age. Now, why are we going on about this? Because there's a temptation among Christians to sometimes talk about their experience of Jesus. As people, we put a high value on experience because of experience it, it must be true. And experience becomes our authority. Paul is not doing that here. And he could. Notice he wants the church in Rome to understand and experience Jesus in terms of God's revelation of his son in the scriptures. In terms of this. And so the gospel is anchored in history. And these historical facts then, with the Spirit's help, become the grounds of our assurance. Now some might conclude, okay, well yeah, Adam, but it's you know it's ancient history, isn't it? How is it relevant now if it's ancient history? And I want to say to that, no way. Do you see that Jesus the one who is truly God, the one who is truly man, he understands completely and thoroughly what it means to be me and you. Now this is important because maybe you doubt and maybe you're tempted to toss it in and maybe you think this Christian stuff is too demanding. But you can't. You cannot. Why? Because Jesus really did live. Jesus really, really did die on the cross and he really did rise again. And Jesus really, really did ascend to heaven. So there's no chucking it in for us. Jesus lived. And because Jesus lived and died and rose again, it means that there is no other life for us to live other than the Christian life. To do so is to ignore the facts, is to ignore history, is to ignore this. So we press on. We press on, right? Our experiences and feelings are unreliable. But the Jesus of history, he can sustain us, he does sustain us. He's the real deal. The Jesus of the Gospels is the one who walks where I walk, who slept and ate. He went fishing with his mates. He was tempted. He suffered. He got thirsty and hungry. He laughed and he cried. And he's the same one who invites us to come to him and find our rest in him 
That's Matthew 11:28. Here's the next thing. Following the outline, you can see the progress we're making. The next point is that the gospel is about the powerful Son of God. See verse 4. Who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection of the dead. At his baptism, when he got dumped by John the Baptist, God declared it, didn't he? This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. On the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, God says the same thing. This is my Son. I'm pleased with him. You need to listen to him. And now Paul affirms it again. But here, it's on account of the resurrection from the dead. He's the Son of God. Uh, No gospel then, no message that pretends to be the gospel... No true gospel can bypass the death and resurrection of Jesus. He died to bear our punishment to sin. He defeated death. He defeated and bound the powers of darkness. He defeated our great enemy, the devil. He is God's powerful son who is risen. He's alive even now. Even now. So then how does verse 4 finish? How does it conclude? Well, have a look. Verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the conclusion of verse 4. Do you you see what Paul's saying to us? The historical Jesus, who is truly man, who is truly the Son of God, he's the one that is Lord of heaven and earth. That his name is above every name, Philippians 2.9. Which gets curious when you see Jesus Christ our Lord. Because later on in Romans, uh, you might know this verse. In chapter 10, what does Paul say about Jesus being our Lord in Romans 10? Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Yep. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved which means you cannot separate the Jesus who saves from the Jesus who rules it must follow if we understand forgiveness it means understanding that Jesus is Lord over my life he is both saviour and king So what's our response to the gospel? If Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, you've got two choices. You can accept him and fall at his feet in repentance and faith, or you can reject him as the rightful ruler and continue in sin. They're two choices. The only path open to us is to throw ourselves before God and to cry out for mercy and as we cry out for mercy the only basis of that mercy we know is our Lord Jesus Christ and this is where we find ourselves in this passage see where am I in this text you're not the Apostle Paul that won't surprise you when he says we, it's a, in verse 5 he's talking about the royal we. He is the apostle, he's the one doing the calling. 
And who is he calling? He's calling the Gentiles, the nations, the readers in Rome, and now by extension, he's calling those who are reading this in northwest New South Wales. And what is the call? What is he calling us for? What is he calling us to? Well, to see in verse 5, obedience that comes from faith. Verse 6, you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I like the sound of that better, but it's the same thing really. Here is our place in the story. We're being called to a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 5, called to obedience by faith. Verse 6, called to belong. Verse 7, called to what? Called to be his holy people. This is our response to the saving lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what we have in Christ. We have faith. We have belonging. We have holiness. Such that Jesus is Lord over every area of our life. Nothing is off limits now. Becoming a Christian then isn't simply a matter of just stepping over a line or ticking a box or, you know, going to an event and opening up your heart to Jesus one time. No, no, becoming a Christian is a complete change of life. It's a complete change in the trajectory of your life. And it is characterised by repentance. Repentance and faith Obedience that comes in faith, along the jail, all of that, it becomes a way of life. And the Christian life is one of continual turning to Jesus as Saviour and as Lord over everything in my life. So, you know, how many Christian rallies have you been to? Where people have opened the door but never really, never really repented never really actually obeyed Jesus. Uh, they just ticked it off their list. Never actually came to terms with the Lordship of Christ. Or conversely, how many churchgoers live the clean and upright life? Good citizens, good morals, but they're offended by the idea that they need God's forgiveness. They're offended by the idea that the mere suggestion that they need God's mercy. Because they think they're acceptable to God on their own. Their need for Jesus and his death and resurrection is completely lost on them then. And it is a tragedy. So who is the gospel for? It's for all of us. But let me ask you, if Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, is there anybody outside of his authority? If verse 4 is true. If there's no one outside the scope of Christ's lordship, outside the scope of his power and authority, if there's no one, then all must be told, surely. See verse 5, all the Gentiles are to be called to all the nations. So ever think, what if I'm paddling in a canoe up the Nile River, or the Yangtze River, or the Ganges, or the Thames, or the McIntyre? Is the Lord there? Well, if he's the Lord of heaven and earth, then sure he is. 
okay, so if the Lord is there, doesn't it follow then that people who live in those places need to hear about the Lord? Don't they need to hear it so they can put their trust in Him and submit their lives to Him and know His gospel of salvation? And you might say, oh yeah, but Adam, you know, these foreigners, at least they're sincere. And I will say, well, their sincerity is not being questioned. But our question must be, my question must be, has God spoken? Has God told us the gospel of his son? Is it true that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth? Is Jesus seated on the throne? And will he return to judge? And as you think about those questions, now, now ask me again about their sincerity. Have you ever noticed in fiction that real people are a mix of good and bad together? They're so good, but they're so flawed. But have you noticed when people are portrayed as being completely good, it seems fake? You can't believe it. It's like they're cardboard cutouts. Doesn't seem real. But the Jesus we encounter in the Gospels, he is completely good and he's completely real. He, there's no cardboard cutout about him. Thoroughly good. Thoroughly believable. So the invitation today is to turn to him. To accept the Gospel. And if you've done those things, if you've turned and accepted the gospel, keep turning, keep accepting, keep living for the gospel. That which was true one day, maybe a week ago or years ago, needs to be true every other day. And we proclaim the gospel. We accept it. We live it. We proclaim it. To all in North West New South Wales who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.